Hello and welcome to Between the Mountains Adventure Podcast. Delivering in-depth interviews, expeditions and adventures. Be sure to check us out on social media and I hope you enjoy this week's episode. Today's guest is Anna Blackwell. And I know a lot of people would find standing on the beach or being out in the sea, you know, I do a lot of swimming and people would find being out in that ocean would make them feel tiny, but it just doesn't, it doesn't have that effect on me in the same way that standing on the side of a, albeit small mountain in, in Arctic Sweden or Arctic Scandinavia, that is just the best feeling ever. Coming all the way from the edge of the UK in wonderful Cornwall, it was a total pleasure to have Anna on the show. Anna is an adventurer with a special place in her heart for the north of Scandinavia. With multiple trekking and hiking trips to the region under her belt, plus more, such as kayaking across Europe from London to the Black Sea, Anna has a huge adventure CV which we dive into in more depth within the interview. The episode covers, you know, the pull of adventure, kayaking across Europe, getting on with your travel partner and the importance of that, her love for Scandinavia, lessons learned from adventuring solo in nature, adventure versus escapism, resilience, and so much more. And you can catch her links in the show notes and also watch her beautiful short film Refuge about her love for Scandinavia with just some stunning shots and thoughts on the region. You can find the video at the bottom of the blog and you can find the link to that in the description of the show. But for now, let's get into the interview, chat with Anna and find out a bit more about her adventures and mindset. Anna, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing today? I'm doing very well, thank you. Excited to be here. First question, really, I don't want to get right back to the start, really. So at the end of your Central America gap year, you say you were, whilst everyone else was super glad, so upset when it finished. Can you tell us more about that feeling you had of belonging to expeditions and adventure? Yeah, I so I just spent about three weeks trekking through uh, jungles and mountains and long beaches in Costa Rica. And it was, oh man, it was challenging. It was definitely the hardest thing I'd done by that point. But that I discovered really, really appealed to me. Um, the kind of nomadic aspect of it, carrying everything I needed on my back, being somewhere different every single day, the views, the scenery, the experiences that I was having every day were just out of this world. And it was so, so different to anything I'd experienced before and anything in sort of anyone's standard day-to-day life that it just completely blew me away. And that sense of satisfaction at the end of the day, having got yourself through whatever was thrown in your face. And there were a lot of challenges on that trip. You know, I was bitten, I was bitten by a, I don't even know what it was, some sort of insect in the jungle and had a really, really bad reaction to it. And it got infected in the back of my thigh, like doubled in size. It was excruciating and disgusting. And, you know, everyone was like, oh my God, she's going to have to have her leg amputated. And sort of getting to the end of each day of painful walking on that, I'd be like, well, I got through that. And, you know, now I've had my dinner and I'm in a, in my tent or under my mozzie net. And it kind of, I don't know, everything felt okay. And I felt satisfied and I could achieve something. And that's, I discovered, I just absolutely loved that. I was going to ask, I mean, I know you had a pretty bad experience with the Duke of Edinburgh, but had you ever had that feeling before or was or was that the moment of discovery? I think that was the moment of discovery. Yeah, I, I really had hated DOB passionately. <laughs> it's, it is quite amusing that that has gone so sort of full circle that I now 
all the things I hate about a DOV and now what I do for my ultimate fun, um, <laughs> my ultimate fun and fulfillment. Um, but that, that trip in Costa Rica was definitely the first time that I thought, actually, there's something to this. Yeah, absolutely. What about the jungles? That, that, that doesn't appear to be something that you've done uh, often to at all uh, uh, since, since that gap year. Do the jungle environments appeal to you? Have you got any future plans for that? Um, they do appeal actually. And I, um, a friend of mine, Lucy Shepherd, you know, she's been on some fantastic jungle expeditions. She's got another one coming up. And every time I see any of her, her content, her videos, her stories, I think, oh my God, I need to get back into that. I think the reason why I haven't gone back to the jungle is probably because, you know, it's expensive to get to those environments and it, they're kind of harder to do um, solo. So a lot of the things that I've done since then have been logistically quite easy. I mean, the logistics have kind of amped up as my skill level has increased, uh, but they've been things that have been reasonably straightforward for me to go off and do by myself without having like huge support networks. And um, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I definitely would go back to the jungle in the future when the time is right. Yeah, for sure. I mean, jungle aside, you've still done a, a really wide range of adventures. I was wondering what drives the creativity for them? Oh, it's so interesting. I always get asked, like, oh, how do you think of your adventures? And I honestly don't know. They're just, I don't know. So, I mean, the first sort of solo one that I did walking the Camino de Santiago, 500 miles across the north of Spain, that I got the idea to do that. I mean, it's a very, very, very famous route and has become increasingly popular as well. But certainly when I did it, I didn't know anyone else who had done it and I only knew a small handful of people who had even heard of it but that idea came from my dad's colleague um, and I was meant to do it with my dad but got impatient waiting for him I was meant to wait until I graduated and still had three or four years left of uni sorry dad um, <laughs> once I decide to do something I get very impatient so that was kind of thanks to someone I think recommending a film about it um, and then the idea to the following year walk a thousand miles I kind of, I think getting to the end of the 500 miles, I knew that it hadn't pushed me and tested me enough. Like I really wanted a challenge and I had loved it. And in my mind, I'd enjoyed it too much. And that meant that it hadn't been hard, which I've kind of got over that opinion now. But knowing that I wanted something harder, I thought longer makes sense. And I'd met this fantastic uh, chap who had started, you know, 500 miles further into France and viewed him as this sort of wise, all-knowing pilgrim hiker um so I was like oh I know I'll do what Marco did so that's how I ended up doing the the thousand miles um and they all just sort of I don't know they sort of escalate from there I hear of somewhere or a certain route and it kind of just captures my attention for whatever reason or or trips just land in my lap that was certainly the case with kayaking across Europe kind of kayaking the continent in 2018 you know, that, that idea, I take absolutely no credit for because that was my kayaking partner, Kate's idea. And I just saw her ad that on the internet and was like, yeah, I fancy doing some kayaking. Why not do a 4,000 kilometer kayaking trip? Um, so it's kind of, that's, I think that's why it's been quite broad is there's no real logic to it. It's just whatever I fancy doing. Yeah, if it just feels right. Yeah, exactly. So kayaking across the continent was pretty epic from, was it, was it London? Um, did you go River Thames or did you set off from the coast? I can't remember. No, we started in London. So we started under Westminster Bridge, which actually was probably the most badass, coolest day of my life. You know, I'd seen over the previous years when I was sort of getting into the adventure industry, I had seen all of these quite high profile expeditions and 
they always had these grand starts and they'd be like a crowd cheering them off from the start point and I was like I want that um so we had that and it was just amazing we started just outside Westminster in the heart of London and we had a small but you know there was definitely a crowd there um a crowd along the bridge cheering us off and there were a couple of people filming and it was just so much fun yeah so that was from London Westminster Bridge to the Black Sea in Romania which is just nuts like I I didn't even realize you, that that could be connected was there was there any portaging bits or was it all on the water um I mean the only portaging we had to do was around locks um which was so so annoying particularly through France and Belgium we had about uh, I think it was about 150 locks in total in the whole 4,000 kilometres, but pretty much all of those were in the first 2,000 kilometres. And most of them, to be honest, were in France, France, Belgium and Germany. And um, we portaged around most of the first ones. I think it was, you know, a couple of months in when we were crossing from Belgium back into France. We just thought, sod it, we've had enough of dragging this ridiculously heavy kayak filled with all of our kit on shoddy wheels that broke on us, I think, five or six times. Um, And it was tedious every single time and it was exhausting. And it was always hot and a bumpy track and just so much faff. And so we just got fed up with it. And we thought, should we just try going into the lock? Like the lock gates were open. We were like, what's the worst that's going to happen? And so we went in and we were kind of sitting patiently in this lock and a huge, like 200 meter long barge came in the lock behind us and it was such a small lock that it was about two feet away from us and we kind of had this moment of realization that actually you know we'd had this idea of what's the worst that could happen the worst that could happen was death it was pretty severe um but we survived <laughs> and actually you know we then got permission actual recognized authority permission to go through all of the other locks uh, pretty much for the rest of the um the rest of the journey which made life a lot easier Although there were still some very stressful moments in sort of 25 meter deep locks. But I think that was preferable to dragging a 40 kilogram kayak plus all of our kit and food for sort of two or three kilometers around those locks. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It, it, it sounds like it's the beginning of a Dr. Pepper advert, you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what's the worst I can have in a barge? <laughs> <laughs> it was literally like that. It was so quiet coming up behind us as well that like we were completely oblivious. And then yeah. and Kate just like glanced over her shoulder and was like, what? <laughs> And it was just there. It was like, oh my God, far too close. <laughs> so the real question is, having done those 4,000 kilometres, how important do you think it is that you get on with a travel partner? Oh my God, it is very, very important. I was superbly lucky with Kate. We didn't have a single argument. And bear in mind that we, so we had met online six months before the trip. She had posted an advert on Explorers Connect, which is an online platform that, you know, um, connects adventurers basically um and she had posted this advert which I had responded to bizarrely we actually then discovered that we had gone to the same school and she had been five years below me at school and we still lived about two miles away from each other which was just crazy um so we kind of had that common ground but we still were pretty much strangers and in the space of those six months before we even started we just got to know each other so well I mean there were still things that we learned about each other as we were kayaking along but we yeah we didn't have a single argument we just were very very in tune with each other and we had the same goals and the same outlooks and you know when things went wrong we kind of had the same response to it like neither of us would panic we wouldn't let it get on top of us we would just 
stop and have a snack and be like, okay, so this is a pretty shit situation. Um, what are we going to do about it? And then we would just set about fixing it or finding someone who could help us. And yeah, I mean, we became like sisters and we're still like sisters now. That's amazing. Yeah. One of the best bits about that trip was definitely our friendship that came through it. And I think there's, um, I think that I can't remember the name of the guy, but talking about team development, he says there's a stage of uh, it's forming, storming, norming and performing. So you get together as a team and then you're storming. So you're clashing, you're not getting on. And then uh, norming where you're starting to become normal. And then performing is just where you're at the peak of performance. But doing this for nearly 100 episodes now, very occasionally people do come out with little anecdotes where, where they just seem to just completely click. Yeah, that was certainly the case for us. Like, I think there were, I can only think of maybe two, if that, times where we had a different opinion on how we should do something. But then we discussed it and actually the compromise we agreed was the better outcome anyway. So we kind of, you know, we were just, we made such a good team in that way that even when we had a different opinion, we still managed to both be happy with whatever we decided. Um, but I honestly, anything that happened once or twice maximum. Um, and the rest of the time, we just, like even the first time I spoke to her on the phone, the first, like after I'd replied to her advert, within minutes, we were just like laughing our heads off. We had just, just from that first moment, it was like, this was destined to be. Oh, I missed that trip. It was so much fun. We just made it. This is the thing. You know, so many things went wrong as they inevitably do on any sort of adventure. But no matter what happened, like we just managed to laugh at it or just somehow turn it into like a funny story at some point. And that is, I think that's one of the key things about how to have a good adventure is you just, you have to be able to laugh. You have to be able to see the positive. And we nailed that on that trip. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's all about how you, how you, because the, the reality will never change. The reality is, you know, the, the weather's rolled in. But then you have that perception, as you you know much more than I do, that perception line is is what yeah. you can change. Like my, my five-year-old, I, I, when we hiked Penavan, uh, my five-year-old, uh, it was really, really windy. Where we ended in was from an Airbnb. So we went up um, Vanabig. So went up that way. The wind was really rolling in. Like It was a little bit rainy. And she was like, I want to go back. I want to go. I want to go back to, back to the house. And I was like, well, listen, you know, we're, we're like 20 meters away from the summit. Let's just pop up and see how we're doing. Got up there. We saw another human being <laughs> and the sun slightly <laughs> came out. Still really windy and like horrible. Like 50 mile an hour winds, I think it was. But she just completely shifted her, shifted her view on it all. And, and I just reminded her in that moment. I was like, listen, nothing else has changed. Everything is still the same. It's just as windy, but more so because we're on top of it now. Like, you know, but your your attitude's changed. And now, like, everything's just going so much smoother. So such a good life lesson. Nikki, imparting such wisdom. <laughs> well, <laughs> uh, I'm becoming the next Gandhi, really. But <laughs> <laughs> Got a um, long way to go. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, first of all, I need to grow a beard, <laughs> and that that doesn't seem to be going well, despite nearly twenty eight years on this planet. But never mind, that's a different story. You'd probably do a podcast on that. Um, so, on your kayaking trip, you spoke so highly of the people that you met along the way, and previous guest Will Copestake actually just talks about when he explored Scotland. He basically said, you know, people are all the same; they're just trying to survive and get on. That they're more than happy to help you in most cases. When you think about all of your of your adventures and all of your expeditions, is there a specific moment of kindness that comes to mind? Oh my gosh. Oh, that's such a good question. Um, 
there are honestly so many, particularly from that kayaking trip, because it was one that saw us go through so much civilization. You know, we went through five capital cities and all of the towns and cities in between those. I met so, so, so many people. Oh, one good example. Oh, I mean, so we were in, I think it was Serbia, Serbia or, or Romania, it was certainly Eastern Europe, and it was quite a poor country. And we had um, landed our kayak on a sort of a little beach by the side of the river. And we were getting our case out, getting our tent set up. And this man came over, and he must have been in his 70s. And without wanting to sound really judgmental, he definitely looked homeless. Um, and we, our initial reaction to that was, oh, do we really want to be highlighting all of this kit that we've got, knowing that there's someone who can see that we're about to sleep with all of this kit around us, you know, that's putting ourselves in a slightly vulnerable situation. But he came over and kind of asked what we were doing. He spoke really good English. We had a little chat with him and he was the most wonderful man. Um, and having like heard what we were doing, he was, he, every single time he explained this trip we were met with confusion disbelief and then this kind of awe um and he went through all of those um and then he was like wait here wait here and he disappeared off and he came back a few minutes later and he had two little packets of peanuts like the kind of just individual snack sized packets of peanuts and he gave us each a packet and that was basically all that he could offer us but he had gone and he had fetched it and he was so honored to be sharing that with us and welcoming us to his beach because he did live in a tent in the woods nearby he said that he'd told his other friend in another tent that we were there and they were going to keep an eye on us and make sure that no one bothered us. And it was just so humbling and so touching. Um, so I think that that is one of those moments where I was just completely blown away. And it's, it's that sort of interaction as well that you would never have as a normal traveller or normal tourist. If you're you know, flying into a country or if you're going through on a train or in your car, moving fast, you're never going to have that sort of interaction with a local person. But taking the time to travel in a slightly alternative way, whether that's a kayak or a bike or walking is, I think, is the best way of doing that. You have the time and you kind of, I guess, level yourself a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I have so, so many examples of kindness like that because it was pretty much a daily occurrence. But I think that was the one that just, yeah, as I said, it just blew me away. So let's talk about Scandinavia for a bit. Um, I know on Instagram we said that we should pro- probably talk about it for less than four hours. So I'm, I'm tied <laughs> down to this question. Do you think your Swedish heritage draws you to the Arctic or is it just the landscape? Oh, that's really interesting, actually. Um, I think, oh, I've never really thought about it. So my instinct says that it's it's just the the landscape and the environments there. Um, I didn't actually go up to the north of Sweden up to the Arctic until I was 23, I want to say, 22 or 23. Whereas all of my other experiences of Sweden have been very much in the south. My grandmother lived near uh, Gothenburg on the southwest coast, and that was the Sweden that I knew. So I think it's the it's the landscape more than my heritage although I think my heritage kind of meant that I was going to love it anyway (laughs) um but the whole I think it's the whole Arctic region that I just absolutely adore it's where I absolutely feel the happiest and the best version of myself and the most inspired and creative and infused and I mean you get the point but (laughs) yeah no the, the the adjectives go on right yeah infinitely 
Yeah, I, I mean, I've been lucky enough to have watched your um, your short film Refuge as well, which uh, comes out soon, I think. It does, yes. Date, date TBC. Well, that was very much a, a passion project. Yeah, just a film about the trip that I did in October, which by my standards was a very small trip. It was only eight days, whereas normally I'm there for anywhere between five weeks and three months. Um, but it was just a little eight day trip and it was a perfect opportunity just to try and showcase what I love about the Arctic and that part of Sweden in particular. Um, and I'm very pleased that you enjoyed it because you're one of a very select group of people that has seen it. <laughs> I, I think uh, I was the 27th view on the unlisted uh, <laughs> on video. So. Oh, I mean, most of those are probably just me watching it on different <laughs> Wi-Fi connections. <laughs> well, I mean, I smashed the thumbs up button anyway. But <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, one one really fascinating thing, um, um, and it's it's a nice characteristics from the different countries. I, I heard you saying how when you're hiking down that borderline in the Arctic, and when you're looking to your right and you've got pointy mountains, that usually means Norway, and then the more sort of flat top mountains usually means Sweden. Right? That, that landscape must just be immense, and to be on your own as well in it. Yeah, it's it is very empowering actually. I think. I, not everyone will find that experience empowering at all. I can imagine it being terrifying. Um, but certainly I absolutely love being somewhere where I feel tiny and insignificant and being able to look around and not see any trace of human acti activity anywhere. Um, and that was the case with quite big chunks of the longer trek that I did in ooh, 2019, I think it was. You know, there were sections where I wasn't even following a trail. I was just you know, walking across these bells and the living things I could see were reindeer. And I went up to, what, I think eight days or something without seeing another person. And those were the, the best bits of it where there's just no one out there. Oh, I love it. And that's, that, it's that sensation, that, that feeling that draws me back again and again and again um, is just that feeling of being tiny. And I haven't experienced that anywhere else. You know, I live, I live by the sea down in Cornwall on a quite an impressive dramatic coastline. And I know a lot of people would find standing on the beach or being out in the sea, you know, I do a lot of swimming and people would find being out in that ocean would make them feel tiny, but it just doesn't, it doesn't have that effect on me in the same way that standing on the side of a, albeit small mountain mm. in, in Arctic Sweden or Arctic Scandinavia, that is just the best feeling ever. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Actually, actually, the best feeling ever is sitting there with a cup of coffee. And taking it all in that's the best thing if there's, a, if there's a cup of coffee in hand there we go <laughs> you've been through your fair amount of hurdles how do you approach and overcome these challenges oh good question um i mean it very much depends on what the challenge is but my first i think the first thing is to actually work out what it is that is sort of stopping me or preventing me from making progress um i think it's quite good to be quite analytical and then quite strategic in it so actually work out what is going on what's gone wrong and then first of all just accept that that's you know that's happened shit has hit the fan and if I can do something about it then crack on you know it's there's there's kind of actually this taps into my um <laughs> my master's research I was looking specifically at how uh adventurers perceive resilience um and one of the themes that came out of it was the strategies that they employ when they face a challenge and it broke down into I named these two two um sort of themes purposeful acceptance 
which was this idea of sort of being quite pragmatic and accepting that things had gone wrong with whatever challenge had arisen um, and just being like, okay, well, that's happened. Not necessarily conceding defeat, you know, you're not saying that it's over, you're just saying, cool, that's happened. So, you know, if, if you've got really shit weather, um, if some kit has broken, if you've injured yourself, then just accepting it. Um, and then just trying to be positive about that. So not, not being like, oh my God, everything's gone wrong. Just being like, okay, well, that's happened. So, you know, I'm going to sleep on it. I'm going to have a snack, whatever. And then there's very much the more action-focused approach, the sort of the proactivity approach. And I mean, generally, when I'm facing a challenge, and this was quite a common response, just have this attitude of oh, just get on with it, you know, just get, just do what you got to do to crack on and get over that hurdle. Um, but then there are sort of there are more creative strategies as well, like um, coming up with distraction and games and. Yes, yeah, so these creative strategies um, that basically just enable you to take your mind off a challenge. And they're the sorts of things where if I'm like, I'm really tired and, or I'm lacking motivation or the weather's rubbish and like, I don't have a view to motivate me, then I will fully throw myself into my head and like distract myself with whatever I can um, or set myself little targets along the, along the trail, along that mountain that I'm trying slowly to climb um, and just chip away at it like that. But I just love the fact that the most common response of, you know, how do you deal with these challenges was just get on with it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, from the sounds of things, from having done some research, it sounds like you fall into all three categories uh, and may, maybe like a process along the way. I mean, the distraction is if we're talking process, maybe distraction is the as an unhealthy one to have because you, you kind of ignore the problem for a bit or something. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but I mean, like from the research, it sounds like you are a mixture of the action like getting stuff done and just cracking on, but also analyzing as well. Cause I, I think I, um, you said before that, you know, focus on the um, what to do, not the what ifs. Yeah. Wow. Did I really say that? Yeah. You say why sometimes. Uh. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, that is so true. I think it's so easy to um, get caught up in overthinking a situation and, and getting caught up in the, well, if I do this, this might happen or, you know, it, you kind of get too many steps ahead of yourself whereas actually if you just nail it down to the thing that is actually causing the issue you just simplify it to that and just try to solve that that issue um it's all about just you know when you when you've got a big challenge ahead of you or a big project whatever it is just getting it down to that first thing that will actually help you make progress and that then just leads on to you know you take those first couple of steps and then you realize that you've done that and you can take a couple more and all those sort of doors open those opportunities arise and things get easier um and i mean yeah just avoid getting too het up about things falling apart unless unless you are physically falling apart then i think it's okay to kind of panic a little bit <laughs> so you've done a lot of solo and self-powered adventures what kind of lessons in being self-sufficient in nature have you learned? Ooh, um, I think the first one is you need less than you think you do. And this this is kind of in several different areas. So it's it's quite easy to think that you need all of the latest high-tech equipment to be able to go off and do these things. But actually, that's not the case. You know, you can get a buy with your granddad's old tranja if that's the only stage you've got. And actually, there's a lot of satisfaction in that as well um you don't yeah you don't you don't necessarily need all of these really fancy 
many things to to go and do it and the more you're carrying the harder it is going to be so I think yeah you don't need as much as you think you do pack light is probably the biggest thing and I think that also that kind of feeds into this idea if you're going out into nature and being self-sufficient you want to be stripping things down to as much of the sort of the bare minimum as you can while still enjoying the experience <laughs> I mean I'm not saying don't take a tent and try and build a shelter every night because some people might enjoy that but actually I quite like sleeping with a nice bit of tar face in my head and knowing I've got somewhere safe to curl up to at the end of the day but it's really really satisfying to not constantly checking your phone to have I mean I put my phone on airplane mode because actually I don't want all those distractions so taking taking that opportunity is just to be off grid and out of reach but I find that really really heightens heightens your experience of what's going on around you and what's going on with you as well yeah so that's a couple <laughs> I mean you just mentioned being in airplane mode there how much of going on adventures is living in the adventure and how much of it is escapism oh um I would say it's for me it's mainly about living in the adventure and having having those experiences and absolutely immersing myself in it I think the trip I did in October there was definitely an element of escapism going on there um you know this is October 2020 we all not know what was going on in the world at that time and there was this little <laughs> window of opportunity where travel was possible and I was like yeah I'm going to the Arctic I need to get away from everything and actually that was so rejuvenating being able to go up there to this environment where there are no signs of any of the other chaos and mayhem going on being able to turn my phone off and it was it was just it was magical it was fantastic um and I think I've probably got more out of that trip than I have a lot of the other adventures I've done because I definitely needed it more than I've needed an adventure in a long time but generally I do it I do it for the adventure for the experience for the the highs and the lows and the environments and the the people yeah so we actually touched upon this a little bit earlier uh, kind of you, you've said when you plan journeys you try to up the effort so if you did 500 miles last time you'll try and look at doing a thousand miles the next time what is it that appeals to you is it the physical or the mental limits oh it's the mental um that this is actually another thing that came out through my my master's research every pretty much all the adventures adventurers that I speak to you know all of the adventures that I speak to you actually um recognize that the, the mental challenges on adventures are much much harder than the physical challenges um at the end of the day like I know I know that my body can physically do it I think I kind of view physical challenges as being a mental challenge at the end of the day like fundamentally it is a mental challenge my body can do it it's just whether I've got the mental strength to make my body do it but the, I mean, the the toughest moments tend to be when you're tired and you're hungry and you're alone and you're lacking that motivation and you're questioning what the hell am I doing? Um, or you're bored. Like, it sounds really bad to say it, but some of these adventures, they get flipping boring. Um, particularly, I mean, walking a thousand miles, parts of that I spent days basically just getting out of really, really major cities in the north of Spain. And there is... You know, once you've got outside of the beautiful historic centre, it is just concrete, 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 suburban areas, industrial areas, your feet are tired, you're not meant to be walking on tarmac that much. 
And there is a huge, huge amount of boredom and monotony in that. So those tend to be the moments that actually test you the most. Or if you're in the mountains, it's when you've got no visibility and you're just surrounded by clouds and it doesn't even have to be like raining or anything. Um, but just when you've got no view around you and it's just the same and the same and the same again and again, so day after day. Um, and every morning you unzip your tent and it's like, oh, great, cloud again. <laughs> They are the times where it's just like, oh, why am I doing this? (laughs) Yeah. You have had quite an adventure CV, um, still growing as everyone's is. What is one moment that you would love to relive? Oh, my gosh. There are quite a few. I think probably um, the first trip that I did up to Arctic Sweden, I was walking the Kungsleden, which is another trail that's become very, very popular over the last couple of years. And while I was doing that, I think I was about halfway through, and I was in, oh God, it was just such a windy day. Blue sky, but just horrifically windy. And it was like that kind of cold wind that like freezes your face. And I remember being halfway up, getting towards this mountain pass and turning around and looking back at this, the way that I'd come and I could see like three or four days worth of trekking behind me. Um, and despite this freezing cold wind and the fact that I was knackered and I just resupplied to my rucksack was at its all time heaviest, I just had this literally overwhelming sense of joy and happiness and knowing that I was absolutely where I was meant to be at that moment. And I am not ashamed to say that I just like I broke down, I burst into tears and I was like, this is so beautiful. Um, I was probably slightly delirious, who knows, but it was just such a powerful moment and I would I would love to have that that moment again to relive that because it was yeah it was absolutely fantastic oh I just thought about that evening as well that was another bloody awesome awesome evening just seeing hundreds of reindeer meeting past my tent um that's cheating a geeky tea but that was a really cool <laughs> cool afternoon <and> evening <laughs> I'll let you have it yeah <laughs> <laughs> so I've got some wrap-up questions then before we call it quits today um the first question is if you had perfect conditions which Scandinavian country would you explore? And this is really tricky, actually. I feel like I should take the opportunity to explore somewhere that's not Sweden. <laughs> but it's always it's always going to be Sweden. Always. Yeah. Every time. But at the same time, I, I've kind of got this internal battle at the moment because I'm kind of starting to think about, you know, what should I do next? As travel is starting to become possible again, you know, I've got the opportunity to go abroad again. Where do I want to go? And I'm kind of like, Sweden, go to Sweden. <laughs> I know <laughs> that I should go somewhere else, experience something different. Well, there's still plenty more you can do there, I'm sure. Yeah, I know. But I, I know that I want to go back to the same sort of area and just do it slightly differently, you know, which is a massive, I feel like that's a massive cop out, but I just love it there so much. <laughs> uh, knowing your love for Sweden, this one is deliberately worded, but if you had a plane ticket to anywhere outside of Europe, where would you go? Oh, man. Oh, that's a good question. Um, I would go to, oh, this is potentially going to show my ignorance, Greenland. Is Greenland in, in, in Europe? Flip. Uh, <laughs> um, you know what? Let's add this out. Hold on. Uh, I, I think it's in the North American plate because I think like, Iceland is is the is the connection, isn't it? Yeah. So, but let's uh, let's get the facts for the <laughs> listeners. North America, congratulations! You are on your way to Greenland. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic, Greenland it is. 
I just started second questioning my geography knowledge. Then. <laughs> There's like you can hear the collective sound of hundreds of face palms. <laughs> I know, I know. Yeah, so it's released. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. The Greenland, perfect. And then last question is, where can we keep up to date with all of your adventures? So the best place where I am most active online is my Instagram account, which is just at Anna Blackwell. Um, I've also got a website where I kind of share blogs and bigger updates and stuff like that that's annablackwell.co.uk and I also have a film coming out it may be out by the time this podcast is released um but that's going to be on my Instagram page uh and it's also going to be on YouTube well if you're listening to this podcast um after it's been released anyway I'll edit the show notes and put the uh put the video down there anyway so if you're listening to this at some point in the future how is it (laughs) please tell me it's good and um, you know, go into the show notes and have a little look. But Anna, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's been such a pleasure. Thank you. Oh, I've absolutely loved it. Thank you so much for having me. So I really, really hope you enjoyed that episode and just the complete facepalm moment at the end there talking about Greenland which is obviously in the North American plate and yet we both just uh, had a bit of a kerfuffle. It was a late night recording that one and we had a couple of internet issues at the start so I think we were just glad to have made it through okay. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did check out her Instagram and her website where she puts blogs up of her trips and travels. You can also check out her short film Refuge and I know I've mentioned it about a million times by this point but it is just fantastic it's so lovely just to sit back relax watch it take it all in for just 14 minutes of your day it's better than scrolling instagram for 14 minutes if you enjoyed this episode then please do check out exploring wild places and indigenous culture with Haley gendron skydiving everest himalayan mountaineering and more with holly budge and you might even enjoy as well the sound of volcanoes glaciers and rainforests with george vlad All three were so fun to record, really great sessions. If you haven't heard them before, definitely go and check them out. Lastly, the episode 100 survey is still live. You've still got time to fill that out. Just seven really quick questions, about 100 seconds of your time, and you will be put into a draw to win some Between the Mountains official merch. But I hope you have a fantastic day, and I will speak to you next week in the next episode. Bye.